Hi, everybody, and welcome to the premiere edition of Poker with Jeepa. I am your host, Jeepa. Please like and subscribe to the page. I really appreciate that. And we have a great show for you today. Joining me first is going to be the man, the myth, the legend, the one and only Mike the Mouth Madison will be joining me. And after that, we're going to have another segment. It's called Leveling Up with the Boston Poker Coach, Joe Durr. He's a, he's a very good job. Uh, he's a coach in Vegas, and uh, he's had a segment on the show. And then finally, I'm going to give you my top 10 favorite poker players of all time. These aren't necessarily the best players in, in the world. Some of them are, but they're my favorite uh, players of all time. Top 10. Warning. The following video contains strong language, which may be offensive to some viewers or inappropriate for children. The content within this video is intended for mature audiences only. But we're going to start now with the one and the only Mike, the mouth Madison. Mike, thank you so much for coming on uh, Poker with Jeepa. Yeah, what's going on, man? It's good to be uh, here. We're glad to have you. Greatly appreciate it. Before we get started talking about your career and how you got started, I just want to uh, say that the, the, more, the memorial that you did for Lane Flack uh, last week, people should go over and watch your podcast because that was phenomenal. Thanks, what man. you did, all the different people that you had on there talking about, uh, uh, you know, Lane and everything. It was great. Could, could yeah, you... I mean, Lane, Lane had a lot of demons, but he's very good hearted person. He give you the shirt off your back. And um, it, it's just really sad. You know what I mean? It's like, I mean, honestly, 20 years ago, if it happened, I would have said, OK, I expected it. But, you know, after pretty much getting clean and you know, getting his life together. Um, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty sad. Yeah. Could you, could you give us one quick story, something that you and Lane did during the, over these 20 years, one time, one event that happened is pretty funny. I mean, there, there's so many, I mean, I mean, most of my Lane stories is out partying and he's just so funny. Uh, but I mean, like, I mean, he, he really helped me through a lot of times when things were bad. Um, uh, and again, the last five years, we were not close and we were very close for the 24 years before that. Um, and like I said, we, we had a heart to heart for like two hours, like two weeks before you died. And um, he came over and we talked about a lot of things and uh, it was really good to see him, you know, and see he was doing well. Um, so, but it just it just ended up, uh, you know, it's just pretty bad news. You know, I, I, I think I'm going to I wasn't going to fly for the for the uh, funeral, but I think I'm going to now. Um, cause, uh, whatever it is, it, I think it's just the right thing, but you know, um, Lane is, uh, was a character. I mean, he was, but he wasn't just a character. He was from in 2003, 2004, the best no limit player in the world. And it wasn't mm. even, it wasn't even close. You know, Helmuth can argue I was rated number one. Lane was number two. I'm like, yeah, Helmuth didn't fear anybody like Lane did. Like, like people feared Lane at the time. And, um, you know, it's like people say, well, he has six bracelets, right? And they'll be like, isn't that when bracelets were easy to win? And Lane's answer is, how come nobody else has six? You know what I mean? Right. So it's like, you know, uh, when they make a statement like that, it's kind of stupid because bracelets are easier to win today than they ever were back then because there's 150 of them. There was 30 a year. You know what I'm saying? Now there's, now there's, there's like 60 online and 90. It's just ridiculous. You know what I'm saying? So, right. so don't say how easy they are. Okay. Cause they're, they're not, you know, and uh, you know, Lane, um, he never got the respect he deserved and it, it kind of really bothered him. You know, it's one of the things that always bothered him, but that's, you know, and one of my, one of my biggest problems is, you know, all these young kids, they, 
they just forget where they, they don't understand if it wasn't for people like Lane, me, mm. Phil, Daniel, Ivy, uh, Ferguson. I mean, we started the WPT. There was 25 of us for the first event. You know what I'm saying? Right. Then there was 50. Then there was 100. Then we got as high as 600 for the 25K, you know? And um, uh, and the, ne the next thing you know is, uh, you know, we, we, you know, then the moneymaker thing happens. So it's like, it's not like, uh, like, uh, oh, sure. It's, it's not like, uh, you know, poker just showed up out of the world and, and, every, and every, you know, it's been around forever because it just, you know, poker's been around, but like the WPT and the, and the moneymaker, I mean, that all happened, you know, 2003, you know, it's like, it wasn't like, I don't know, man. It just, yeah. and people don't respect the people that they always want to know. Oh, Mike doesn't understand poker. Right. You know, all these young kids, they want to talk shit, but how many of them cast 23 of 56 WPTs with six final fucking tables? That's never studied GTO or one never ran a fucking sim in his life. Okay, so go fuck yourself, you know. I, I think I, I agree with you on your assessment. I think they don't appreciate what you guys did back in the uh, late 1990s, the early 2000s. How did you get started, Mike, playing poker? And then we'll talk a little bit about how poker evolved. I got started uh, while I was playing a video poker machine when I was 21. A guy named Phil Samaroff was playing next to me, and he's like, I was losing. Like, you, you don't win a video poker. And he's like, you ever heard of the World Series of Poker? I said, yeah. And he's like, uh, you want to learn how to, I'll teach you how to play and you'll never have to work another day in your life. So flashy, you're back up already. I don't want you jumping up. My Come cat on. does the same thing. My baby just had fucking like life-saving surgery. Yeah. And, he, and he's just like, he's got all this. He's 20 years old, by the way. Wow. I mean, could wow. you tell he runs around like he's like, yeah, two. I know. And I see him on, I see him on all your podcasts too. I mean, yeah. he's, he's right there with you all the time. Yeah. I don't like him jumping up though. He just jumped up to get up here. I don't, I don't like it. This is the thing I was kind of worried about, but anyways, so um, the only book I ever read on poker was Skolansky's beginning book on Hold'em where everything was limit Hold'em back there. There was no, no limit until 2000. And I mean, there was two tournaments a year that were no limit, but, but everybody, everything, everybody played was limit Hold'em pot limit Hold'em. And, and then when they did become no limit, like, there was a hundred big blind. You could only buy in for a hundred big blinds. And personally speaking, I, I still believe that, that the biggest mistake that was ever made was, was them not letting, uh, was them letting people uh, buy in super deep for whatever they want, because, because the best players are just going to crush. You right. know what I mean? And uh, you know, um, when you keep it to where there's a hundred big blind buying, like even full tilt and poker stars during the online days, I mean, you couldn't buy it for more than hundred bigs, you know, quarter 50, you buy it for 5k. It was a max 10, 22 K was a max. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I think one of the biggest mistakes that ever happened in poker is the re-entries in all the tournaments and right. the un unlimited buy-ins to these, uh, you know, cash games. Mm -hmm. in, in 1998, uh, Mike, you backed Scotty when he ended up winning the world series of poker main event. How did that come about? How, what made you decide that you wanted to back Scotty win in that okay. tournament? That's a really, it's a funny question you asked. So, um, I was, uh, I quit my job as a poker dealer in 1996. I crushed poker from 93 to 96, but I was always broke because I was a degenerate sports better. So a guy named Neil said he would back me, but I wasn't allowed to bet sports. So the first six months we were playing, I win like 180,000. 
And then uh, the first tournament I played in uh, 1997, Omaha eight, I, I got second, but I got all the money. I was playing Scotty and, and um, Ted Forrest three-handed. They made a deal where I had all the chips that I gave them. I took 15000 off the top and put a 126 in my pocket. Then Scotty won 11 hands in a row all Good. in, and he won that bracelet. So, I mean, I really should have. If I, bracelets didn't mean anything back then. If I knew they meant anything, I, I mean, I was a lock to have five. You know what I mean? Right. So, uh so then me and Scotty became friends after that and Scotty wasn't doing good. And you, you, you know how in the, in the poker world, people get greedy, right? So yep. the, the guy that was backing me is like, Oh, Mike's making me 180,000 in six months. I'll back my, I'll back Scotty and I'll back my friend Medi, and he'll do good. Well, Medi started losing. Right. And, um, and then he would start yelling at me. Like I took a couple of big losing days and I'm just like, dude, I've won you all this money. Leave me the fuck alone. I go quit back in these other quit, quit back in Medi. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, I'm like this guy, I, he's not a winning. He's not me. You know what I'm saying? Right. And so, so then uh, during the uh, 98 world series, Scott, uh, you know, I introduced him to Scotty and he started backing Scotty. And then he was so mad at me because I had lost like, I don't know, 40 K straight or whatever. Like he was like, didn't want to back me. And I'm just like, are you fucking kidding me? All this money I want. And so like, okay, he, he agrees to back me and, um, and, uh, and Scotty. And I had a kind of a rough world series flashy. You got to go down. I, I don't want you to get hurt. Hmm. Um, and, uh, Scotty wins like 66,000 and got like third and a fourth. And he made like, Three final tables. So um, now Scotty wins like 66000 and um, he doesn't want to put Scotty in the main event. And I'm like, how do you not put him in the main event for 10000 when the guys won you 66000 So he didn't want to put the 10000 for Scotty. And uh, he put it up for me. And uh, I literally had about... Mm, 10,000 in my name, maybe. Uh, this is like uh, what, a year and a half after I went pro now. You know, I, 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 I um, when I won 180,000 or whatever, and, uh, you know, I, I got half of that. And, uh, you know, I, um, I did what I, you know, behind his back, I was betting sports, you know, I, whatever, you know, I'm not going to deny it. You know? Right. So I was struggling for money. And the night before the World Series, I, uh, the, uh, I had this dream that Scotty won the world series. This is oh, wow. bizarre. And so right, he didn't want to put him in. So I put him in four $1,000 satellites, right? Yep. And he went over four. Right. And then back then they didn't, you know, they didn't run them around the clock. They, they go, okay, this is the last satellite uh, uh, before the world series. This was at uh, 11 o'clock at night, the night before the world series. And they go, this is the last one we're running. I go, Scotty, I just don't have the money. I've got like, 3,000 left. I go, I'll put up 500. So I put up 500. Um, this guy, Jamie put up 250 and somebody else, James put up 250. I forgot his name. And we gave Scott a third free roll. So I got a third, Scotty got a third and, um, and the other two got, uh, uh, half of whatever a right. third is. Okay. Sure. And, um, and, uh, sure enough, he won the world series and, uh, and I won like 333,000. And Man, you had to be pumped when that happened. I was really happy. But here's the thing. It's like Neil, 
was all pissed. And Neil wanted me to give him a hundred thousand. And I was like, well, I'm not giving you anything. You didn't, you refused to stake him. You wouldn't answer your phone. I'm like, I put my case money up for this guy. Right. Right. And, and then me and Neil had this horrible falling out after that. I, there's just no way that I, 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 I even was saying, I'll give you like 20 because he'd done so much for me, but I didn't have to give him anything. And so um, that's how that started. And that's pretty you cool. Know, and so then the next year, year and a half, it kind of bothered me that I wasn't getting the respect I deserved in the poker world because all I was, Oh, you're the guy that backed Scotty. You're the guy that backed Scotty. Right. And then 99, uh, when I won my first bracelet, that was the first Nolan Holden tournament I ever played. Because wow. in 97, I watched Stewie play outside the final table. Yeah. 98, I watched Scotty win it. And uh, because I was a limit hold'em genius, I, I didn't want to get in a no limit until I I learned a lot of the tricks. And, you know, uh, TJ taught me a lot. Eskimo taught me a lot. Uh, a lot of the good players kind of gave me these, these pointers on how to pick up dead money and shit. Now everybody knows how to do that. But, but back then... Um, and uh, then I use my aggression and my ability to pick up dead money. And I play, I was fearless. I was the most fearless poker player in the world till 2006, 2007. Right. And uh, that's when um, Russ Hamilton stole all the money was cheating me at cheating me out of a million online. And I, I, I became gun shy and was afraid to pull the trigger. And uh, once I became afraid to pull the trigger, my game went, went to shit. And I didn't, I wasn't able to pull the really pull the trigger till, I don't know, seven years, probably 2000, uh, 2011. So four wow. years went by, you know, people, even, pe sorry, people don't realize that you won four braces, four different games. It wasn't like yeah. all like, uh, Texas Hold'em. It was four separate games. Correct. Yeah. I, I, I think I'm the only person in the world with four bracelets in four different games. Yeah. Pretty sure. Yeah. And, so, and, and plus, plus they don't mention that you were in two uh, final tables for the world series of poker main event. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I got four bracelets in four different events. I've made five WBT final tables and two WSOP final tables. And, um, and I watch every fucking stiff get put in the hall of fame before me. So it's pretty, it's pretty frustrating. You know what I'm saying? But now I don't, I really don't care because the thing is my dad, I knew was getting older and I wanted to get in the hall of fame before he died. Right. And I will never, ever forgive the world series of poker for that. Yeah. yeah so. I, I went over, I went over the list and looked at the names of players and there's several poker plays that are in there that you should have been in ahead of time. It's, it's fucking yeah. ridiculous. You know, and, 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 and I, I think, you know, this year they're going to put Lane Flack in cause he passed away and probably Ted cause they were best friends, you know, but the truth of the matter is, is they always say part of the thing is you got to pass the test of time. Right. Well, you know, Huck hasn't won anything in 15 years. Uh, he doesn't even play. He got put in last year. Ted hasn't won anything and God knows how long. You know, um, they put in people that just don't that from from the past, you know, that, don't, you know, they were great players. But, you know, the test, I'm still winning. You right. I'm saying I'm still playing every day. I'm still crushing. You know what I'm saying? And I'm doing it with a severe illness or in horrifying pain every day. So, you know, it does it, it bothers me. Of course, it bothers me. It bothers me a lot. You know, but Mike, what, what about what what happened on uh, Black Friday, April fifteenth, two thousand eleven? How were you were you given a phone call ahead of time, uh, uh, being told I, what was going to happen, or did you I, have an I, idea what was going to happen? I mean, I remember it like it was yesterday. Um, 
Howard and Tom Duan were on a ICO mission to, with the troops, 2011. I think it's called ICO, IOS, whatever it is, where you mm -hmm. visit the troops. Sure. And the Black Friday came down. He called me and says, this is really bad, Mike. I'm like, okay. And then I talked to Ray Batari and everything's okay. Uh, they froze everyone's money. We, we still have the, the European map market. We're all fine. You know, don't worry about anything. And then on the 12th, I had to fly to London to film uh, late night poker. And uh, we're getting ready to film. And uh, all of a sudden they stop nothing going on i'm like what's going on and they're like the the check for the tv production company bounced and i'm like how, how much is it for and they're like well for the whole the whole production is like 1.2 million and i'm like wow well, how in the fuck can it bounce i'm like the, the company's raking 2.5 million a, a day you know between and and they were putting out disbursements where like eight ten people were getting like a million a month so where the fuck's 1.2 million, right? I, I mean, I was like, there's something's wrong. Some, there's a miscount. Something's wrong. Forget the, the assets they, they, they froze online, but they still had a bank account with millions in it, right? So they go to film and, and finally they, they get uh, half of it for 600,000 or whatever, uh, a check through that, that went through whatever. And we film, we film like two episodes, right? So I film the two episodes, I go home I find out after I left, they canceled the rest of the episodes because the other check bounced and they had no money. And I'm like, wow. Yeah. I go and find out, of course, years later, the CEO stole 580 million. Uh, the processing guy stole 150 million and we had no money. You know what I'm saying? We had like 60 million in the bank or something like that. That was player's money. And, and, we, and I'm just like, I don't understand how when the company got so big, they didn't hire a CEO for two, three million a year to be on top of things. I mean, Ray Batar thought he knew it all, but he was a fucking thief and a piece of shit. And, um, you know, it destroyed my life. You know, did I you, was set. You know. Yeah. Do, do you, do you forgive Howard Letterer and Chris Ferguson for their involvement? I forgive Chris. Um, I don't believe Chris had a clue what was going on, even though he was in on all the meetings. I think he was being lied to by Howard and, and um, Ray. Um, all Chris wanted to do is play poker. Yeah. He was the biggest shareholder. Yes. He got the most money, but he wasn't in, in the day-to-day -day operations unless there was some major, major decision they would call Chris, you know what I'm saying? So it was always, it was Howard and Ray involved with everything. And even when Howard like said, well, I'm retiring uh, Ray's running the business. I have nothing to do with that. That was a lie. Okay. The bottom line is, is his marriage was in trouble. He had to be, he had to uh, come back from Ireland and, uh, or he was going to get a divorce. He came back from Ireland and he was still running day-to-day -day operations with Ray from Las Vegas. Okay. So all that shit, I was hired. I had nothing, it was just to protect his ass. Okay. In case the government or something came after him for running an illegal, you know what I'm saying? So he'd be like, well, I'm not involved. I live here. You know what I'm saying? So he was doing that to protect himself. And, uh, you know, every time I had a meeting with my agent and him, it was always Howard, me and Ray on the phone, on the phone with my agent, you know, and it was always calling from the house. And the truth of the matter is, is they screwed me for a lot of money, probably around $4 million. And um, their answer to me is why I didn't get the money that my contract, you know, said is because we put $500 million away in case we lose the U.S. market and make sure you don't have to ever work the rest of your life. And I believe them. And that was all a fucking lie. 
You know what I'm saying? A complete fucking lie. And uh, everything they told me was a lie. And a year before this happened, I was like bad mouthing them a lot because I wasn't getting my raise to where I was supposed to be getting based on the, the revenue of the company. And, um, and the, the bottom line is, is they're all living great lives. And I'm li- I was living a horrible life, but I'm doing better now. But um, glad, you know, glad you're doing better. On, on, a, on a happy note, when you did the show High Stakes Poker, how much fun was that show? Oh, we had a lot of fun. It seemed like it was a blast. That's when poker was fun. I mean, they honestly, poker's not fun anymore. I mean, they just, you got all these fucking robots, fucking GTO solver. Don't say a fucking word. It's just, you know, it's just not fun. You know what I'm saying? It's like poker is supposed to be fun. Like even, like even today I'm, I'm watching, I'm watching this Twitter battle between Brandon Adams and Phil Galfon, right? Yeah. Yeah. I saw and, that. And then I quoted on it. I go, I'm, Am I missing something here? I go, I look at my hand, I raise collar fold, right? The flop comes, I look at my hand, I raise collar fold. If it's a tough decision, I might take 30 seconds. I go, you guys are talking. And I wrote, you guys are crying about everybody's taking 30 seconds on a hand. Cause, cause Brandon was mad that he's saying that, that Phil was taking too long. I'm just like, what, what, what kind of poker is this? I mean, I mean, even, Here's, even in a tournament, I look down at my hand, I raise as fast as I can. What is the difference, right, mm-hmm. between timing down when you have a big hand and raising or just snap raising and whatever you're going to do? It's the same fucking thing as long as you do it at the same time. Right. Like if I raised every, my hand every four seconds, whether I have a good hand or a bad hand, mm-hmm. why do I have to stall, watch the line yeah. go down yeah. and raise? It's just fucking annoying to me, you right. know? Right. Well, that, you know, that's just my thought process. But that. but that game was fun watching the uh, high stakes poker games with you and and you know all, the, all the different one. players. I was Daniel. second biggest winner, so I, I mean, I won like God, I don't know what I won like seven hundred fifty thousand or something like that. What you what know? I think I'm sorry. What I think the viewers liked was that we actually saw you guys not only with chips but with the huge stacks of money in there, like tens of thousands of hundreds of thousands of dollars on the table and actual you know hundred dollar bills. Yeah. That was cool as a, as a viewer. Well, yeah, it sucks that they've gotten rid of the $100 bills. It's like the worst thing ever. You know, you can't play bills at the table. It used to be fun to throw $10,000 into a pot in a, in a stack. You know what I mean? Right, it, was right. just, it was just so much fun. And, and I don't, I still don't know why they got, well, I do know what they got rid of it for fucking tax purposes, you know? Ah, makes sense. They, they, because, you know, people would say, hey, I need to borrow 10000 throw 10000 across the table. You know, you know how the, the IRS works. Anything over 10000 they want reported. So, you know, they even with the the five the five thousand dollars they record and report everything now through the computer. So, I mean, I mean, even in the old days, like if I wanted to skim like paying less taxes, it's like, you know, you just wire money to Bellagio, you get chips for it, you put the chips in your fucking box, you say you lost it. You know what I'm saying? Now you get the chips, they they won't cash them out for they they you have to sign like 18 forms to get your hundred thousand in chips. That way they can tax you on it, right? That's, yeah, that's the purpose exactly. of that. Yeah. Yeah. What about how important is it for um for online poker to be legal throughout the United States? I mean, because I can't play it in Massachusetts. I can't play online poker. You can, well, play, in my, you, you can play in my home game whenever you I want. can. And you know what? And I will. I will <laughs> play in your home game. Yeah. So um, listen, I, I've said this before. I'll say it again. Online poker was originally put out for people like you, middle America, people that don't have card rooms to give them a chance to play low limit poker. It was never designed to play nosebleed games online 
and nosebleed tournaments. Okay. There is a lot, a lot of cheating going on. And I think it's, I, I, I know, and nobody wants to call it out. I mean, there's some players that call it out, but, but this, uh, to, to think they're giving away like 80 bracelets online where, right. I mean, I personally, I personally think that online poker, not like your, your things, but the bigger, the bigger um, companies or whatever online poker. I think it's rigged. I think it's definitely rigged. It might. That's my opinion. I, mean, I, mean, I could be wrong. I, I'm not sure if it's rigged, but I know one thing for sure. Um, there are at least 50% of, of these pros using a program called RTA real time assistance. Right. Okay. They, and poker stars has crop has uh, cracked down on them, but like GG poker up until like three months ago where Daniel says, Oh, they're starting to crack down on it. Right. They didn't do shit. And there was like, I'm not naming any names, but there's a lot of big time poker players that won tens of fucking millions using RTA. Okay, playing against a bunch of Chinese people that didn't know how to play and they were right. winning millions and millions. And in case people out there don't know what RTA real time assistance, and I didn't know what it was until five or six months ago, is a program that connects to the it's a software program that connects to the to the online site, right? And it tells you by stack size, by everybody's stack size, uh what to bet, when to fold. Uh, and it, you know, re-raise re- oh, wow. with this hand because of the because it's playing the game for you. It's playing the game for you. The computer is playing the game for you. Okay, and uh, that's why you see no mistakes. You know what I'm saying? They're playing perfect GTO. Po- Nobody's making mistakes or right. checking back when they're supposed to. There, and uh, you know that's why uh, when you get them in a live setting, how you got like one out of a hundred geniuses that get in a live setting and have a clue. The rest of them are just worthless. Yeah. Right. Listen, there's so much bull. I mean, don't get me started. You know, I I won't get you started, but I know one thing. I know one thing. Sure. Daniel's winning. Phil's winning. The other Phil's winning. And Patrick Antonius is winning. I'm winning. It's all the older players. Not one of, except for Daniel, not one of us has ever ran a fucking sim in their life. Right. Ivy's never ran a sim in his life. I've never ran a sim in my life. You know what I'm saying? I mean, would I be better if I did? Maybe. Yeah. But you have no complaints not doing it. I mean, I'm a pretty good field player. I mean, I'm in the middle of the biggest losing right. streak in my life right now, but you know, that'll, that'll change. Yeah. Mike, there's, there's been a lot of heads up uh, matches lately. You know, Helmuth against us, Fundiari, then Negreanu, then he won last night. And, you know, obviously, and Negreanu went up against uh, Polk. Is there anyone you want to play heads up? Would you want no. to get in it? Because you, you won a heads up champ. You won an NBC heads up championship. All heads up challenges are. Is fucking a bunch of bullshit to see whose dick is bigger. I mean, <laughs> it's just like, you know, I know they're doing it, you know, for TV. And you got to remember, Phil and Daniel own a piece of Poker Go. So there's a lot of promotion going on there. Uh, you know, I told Phil I'll play him, you know, yeah. I'll play him. I'm not going to put up money. I mean, we could play for fun and tell people we're putting up money. I'm like, because, you know, Phil, Phil lost to me. You know, I mean, we're going to try just as we try to kill each other every day. I mean, me right. and Phil talk every day, you know, but no, I, I got no inch. I, I, I just think it's all bullshit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's just yeah. not me. Well, last know. thing, Mike, after this, I'll let you go because I know you're busy. You want to be streaming. But uh, the 2021 World Series of Poker schedules out since that September 30th. Will you be playing in a lot of tournaments? Yeah, I'll be playing like at least 25 of them. Wow. You know, but it depends. I mean, like, like right now. I mean, this COVID is running rampant. Yes. Um, 
there might not be a 2021 World Series. I'm being honest. I mean, this is really bad. You know, it's, you know, you've had you've had the virus, right? Well, yeah, and then Huck just had yesterday, but oh wow, Huck, Huck wasn't even vaccinated. But it goes to show you that you don't need to be vaccinated if you're in good shape and you eat well. He 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 literally the symptoms are gone in three days. He had a mild cough, a mild fever, and that was it. Why? Because he's not overweight. He's young. He's in good shape. You know, there's there's something going on here with this government that's pushing this vaccine on everybody. And now the the, the, the thing came out the other day that uh, that the Pfizer vaccine is is mutating the virus, and that's why the virus is spreading like crazy. Now, granted, they say you if you're on the vaccine, you you can't you're not going to die or get hospitalized, but but everybody is getting getting really, really sick. And um, like over 50% are all vaccinated. And then, you know, you get the NFL saying, if you're not vaccinated, you can't do this, you can't do this. Well, more people are getting COVID vaccinated that aren't, that are not vaccinated right now. So I'm, just, just to touch on this real quickly, the, the, I'm, a, I'm, I'm from New England, I'm in Boston, so I'm a New England Patriots fan. They lost one of their offensive line coordinators because he won't get the, wouldn't get the vaccine. Vaccinated. No, I saw that with the the Vikings that happened to also. Um, I mean, what happened to my body, my choice? I don't want to get political here, but um, who the fuck is the government to tell you? And what they're doing is they're segregating people like they're off. Like you don't have the vaccine. You're killing people. So people who aren't vaccinated, they're like making them like the devil. You know what I'm saying? But this is what they do with identity politics. They do the exact same thing. They 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 ostracize one side and tell you this is the, why why you got to vote for me or whatever. And, you know, they break it. You know, African-Americans, you guys are oppressed, white privilege. They do whatever they can to separate us. But now they're doing it with the vaccine. If you're not vaccinated, you're killing people. Well, that's not true. OK, it's just not fucking true. The truth of the matter is, is I'm vaccinated, OK, because I have underlying conditions. I didn't want to risk dying from covid. Right. If you want to go out or that my next door neighbor wants to go out without a fucking mask, go out and get fucking covid. And if he gets hospitalized, that's that's his fucking freedom. Where, who the fuck's the government to say who the who could get vaccinated, who can't. And 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 why are people that why are people mad that. They're vaccinated and the other people are not because up until like a month ago when it started going rampant, they're like, oh, if you're vaccinated, you only have a 5% chance of getting COVID. And that's when the numbers went way down. But why the numbers just go straight up? Because I was reading this article, reading this guy today talking about that the vaccine only protects for six months and then it mutates the virus and causes COVID to run rampant, which really makes sense because that's what's going on right now. So uh don't get me started but i, I, I get, but you know the truth of the matter is is re- i I'll, I'll say it here you can and all the viewers and everybody if you're vaccinated why the fuck do you care if the guy next door isn't vaccinated let him fucking die if he wants you know just like like why were they closing people's businesses if people want to go to the business if they want to go out they know the risk if they want to stay home for covid and be in fear they all they can stay home you know what i mean this doesn't make sense to me right I'm very pro. I'm pro vaccine, you know, right. But, right. But I, I mean, if you're under 25 years old, an elite athlete in great condition, you couldn't give me a hundred million dollars to take that vaccine. Yeah. It's just right. like 0.0001% under 25 without underlying conditions die from COVID, you know? So, 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 so why is it so mandatory? See what I'm saying? Right. So Mike, before I let you go, why you mentioned your, uh, 
your, po- your poker home game that you have, and also one you mentioned your podcast, and people can see some of those great podcasts you've done in the yeah. past and moving forward as well because they're yeah, all so, they're outstanding. So I do run a podcast usually every Friday or Saturday. I missed about six weeks of, uh, when my cat got sick. I was just kind of distraught. I didn't want to be in front of anybody. Uh, but yeah, we run a podcast every week, Friday or Saturday, Mouthpiece Podcast. Uh, it's on YouTube, uh, uh, I, uh, iTunes, all, all the Spotify, all the all the uh, podcast stations. And then um, for anybody out there that wants to play one $2 No Limit Hold'em or PLO, you could email uh, me. Uh, my assistant does all the work pretty much at mouth. Uh, I'm sorry, mouth. Uh, <laughs> hold sorry. on. You, you can email me at uh, uh, mouthpoker at yahoo.com mouthpoker at yahoo.com and uh you'll get yourself an account and i play every day for about an hour a day with all my players um and uh, we have a nice little one two uh, no limit and plo that goes every day uh it's a lot of fun um it's on a really really great um online site uh so the software is amazing and it's ip protected and it's, it's really good so uh, if you want to play poker with me one two no limit plo Email me at mouthpoker at yahoo.com for details. That, that is so cool that they get the chance to play against you because otherwise they wouldn't have the chance and they, they can't play against other poker players, but they can play with you. So I think that's awesome. Like, yeah. yeah. So I do it for my, from my fans and my people. I, I don't really, I don't make any money off of it. I mean, like whatever I make, I pretty much get, uh, you know, I take right. such a minimal amount and I give the rest to the players back you know the losing players and shit so i mean that's how we keep the game going for a year you know what i mean you don't want to be greedy that's awesome i'll definitely sign up to play i want to thank you so much for coming on poker with gpi it's been it's been an honor to have you on mike it's been awesome you're very you're very welcome my friend and uh thanks for having me yeah and i'll definitely i'll call you after you win a bracelet okay i'm gonna get in touch with you after you win a bracelet to have you on again you got it and different things we appreciate it very much so this is gonna be the end of the podcast So now we're going to do leveling up with the Boston poker coach as a coach, getting at your knowledge and advice for people. And hopefully we can help out some people. Today it's going to be like basic questions on how to get started and where they should start, whatnot, and what, you know, what chair, what, what seat to take at what table and, and things of that nature. But first, Joe, what's, um, what's your background with poker? How did you get started playing poker? You're a Boston guy like me, and now you're living in Vegas. Yeah, I actually grew up in Danvers, about a half an hour north of Boston. Um... So when I when my brother who's a couple of years younger than me turned 21, my father took us both to Foxwoods to um, to gamble, gave nice. us each hundred dollars. At the time, I didn't know that much about poker, but my brother was into it, so I wasted my hundred dollars on blackjack very quickly, and um, he was able to win four or five hundred bucks playing poker um, in like an hour or two. So I was like, oh, poker, this is really interesting. So that was 2004, um, the year after Chris Moneymaker won it, like kind of when ESPN's coverage was at its peak. So it was really easy to get into it at that point. Um, just about like it was very mainstream and all my friends were into poker at that point. So, yeah. And that's that's when poker took off after Moneymaker. Yeah. Uh, won, won the uh, main event. Yeah, I remember Greg Raymer's run was kind of my first uh, memory of the main event. So that was that was a fun year. Sure, sure. And it's funny because I'm older than you. <laughs> a lot older than mm. you. And I, I didn't follow poker until... I've, I've always been a sports fanatic, you know, but I didn't follow poker uh, until Moneymaker won his title. And then I started watching and I liked the guys because of their, their characters. I didn't know the game yet, but I liked them because of their characters. 
Yeah, ESPN did a great job of like telling a story back then, a lot more so than now. I guess because it, it was easier because there was more characters back then. Sure, sure. And now it's all about the different systems they're using to try to win, uh, you know, uh, yeah. larger larger tournaments, you know, high high buy-in tournaments and stuff like that. And So you've been playing poker for a while. What made you want to coach poker? Um, so, yeah, I've kind of been back and forth with playing professionally um, and then semi-professionally. And for me, it was just like that. It gave me an extra, like, motivation to get better. It was to also help others because I sometimes see people struggling at the tables. I took I took some lessons when I was living out in Las Vegas, and then I moved back to Boston for a while when Encore Boston Harbor opened up, and I just noticed um, a lack of direction for a lot of players, and there wasn't really anyone doing any coaching in Boston, so I thought it was a good opportunity. Unfortunately, um, COVID hit um, as my coaching was starting, but um, it's rebounded nicely, so yeah. Well, you're in the right place being, being in Vegas, obviously, for uh, that's the that's the best place to be playing poker, especially with, you know, the, uh, the uh, World Series of Poker's coming up in a couple of months, and they've also had the online tournaments uh, going on all this month. Instead of next month, you, you have to be out of the country, but the GG Poker has tournaments as well. Yeah, I, I fired up a couple of bracelet events here. Um, didn't have any luck, but it was still fun to get involved. <laughs> so you as a coach, what would you advise a, a newer player, like a recreational player? Should they play one, two? Should they play two five? What what are the, what makes the decision as what they should play? Um, well, I think first and foremost, people need to be comfortable with the the amount of money they're playing for. At the same time, they want to play for amount of money that they care about. You know, if you're playing for pennies, maybe you're not taking the game as seriously as you should. But if you're a recreational player, you want to play for amount of money that you care about. Um, but the one advantage a recreational player has is they don't really need. You know, if you lose, quote unquote, your bankroll, you can replenish it. Um, whereas a professional player has to like their bankroll is essentially like their means of surviving. So, um, you know, if you have $2,000 to play with and you're a rec and you're a recreational player, you can probably get into a game where you want a $200 buy-in. Whereas, um, you'd probably for a $200 buy-in as a professional, you'd probably need like $20,000 to play comfortably, um, or at least $10,000 in that range. It kind of depends on the actual game style. Is there a certain number for, for a recreational uh, player that you would recommend how many buy-ins they could have set aside if it's something that they want to do, not just recreational one or two times, but say they want to have a plan and do it three or four nights a week? Would you give them any advice on how much they should uh, I mean, have? Yeah, if you want to like, if you want to take like kind of have a big enough buy-in to um, withstand variance, I would say like 50 buy-ins is probably the minimum. Um, just the more volume you're able to put in, the more variance kind of evens out over time. So um, if you only have like five buy-ins, the cards might just not go your way before those five buy-ins are up. But if you have 50 buy-ins and you have a skill edge on your competition, then those stat statistics will even themselves out like over a larger sample size most of the time. Can you explain, you mentioned variance, and I, I get asked this question all the time, and I give the best answer I can, but you being a coach probably would answer this question better than I could. Could you explain what uh, variance means and how to assess your play in a game that has a higher or lower um, variance? Sure. So um, it's kind of like the, I guess the easy way to describe it would be like the luck involved with poker. Um, for example, if you have pocket aces versus pocket kings, you're supposed to win 80% of the time. The 20% of the time you lose would be like the variance portion of that equation. Um, and like the more aggressive uh, game plays, the more luck is involved. Um, the more all-ins you have where the cards kind of dictate who wins or loses, 
there's a lot of luck involved with that. Like, I mean, you're lucky to get in your money with, as a 70% favorite. Um, but if a game's, you know, playing a little bit more passively and you can make a lot of small cuts on your opponents and um, just like win a lot of small pots and not even have to get the showdown, then luck doesn't really play that much of a factor. It's more your skill edge um, allowing you to take down these pots before like the cards would, or the, the luck of the cards kind of get into play. Right. Now, once once you've figured out what game you want to play, be it one, two, two, five, how do you decide, especially if you're playing at a new, if you're going to a new um, casino, how do you decide what table you want to sit at and what seat you want to sit at at that table? Do you do, do you watch that table for a while before you before you sit down and see what you know, let let a couple orbits go around before you make a decision how you're going to play? Sure. So um, when I when I usually when I walk into a poker room. Um, there's usually a like big TV screen that lists the games and at the top of each screen, it will, each, it will even tell you like the table numbers of those, where like those games are being played. So when I get into the room, I usually have to wait a couple minutes to sit down. So instead of wasting time, I'll just kind of do a lap around the room and look at the different tables, see which ones are good, which ones are bad. And how I would determine that is like the first thing I'm looking for is are people drinking? Um, that's the biggest thing. Those are going to be the, the best tables. Also, just like, does the table seem social? Um, are people like having conversations or is everyone on their phone? That's another big thing. Um, like the general age of the table will help too, as um, like younger players are more likely to be trying to be playing for a living, whereas older players generally are more recreational players. And then just like the amount of money on the table too. Um, you can just tell like the amount of, you know, the different stack sizes. Some tables are going to have an average stack size of like a couple hundred bucks, where others might be upwards of like thousands. So you like those bigger games um then you just look for the tables with more chips on them and then as far as like seat selection generally speaking you want to be to the left of um like tough opponents slash people with um a lot of money but there are some sure. certain certain instances where being to the right of uh aggressive opponent can be helpful like if if for example your opponent's raising 75 percent of his hand pre-flop um then you might actually benefit from being to the right of him because you get to see how the rest of the table reacts to his raise before you have to, before your decision most of the time. So if the guy is j just like opening to 20 all the time, if you're the first person in and you have maybe king, queen offsuit, you might have to fold that. Whereas if you're the last person in and five or six people have called, you could almost be raising or going all in with that hand, right? So it's like, it can be a lot. So like you kind of get position, at least pre-flop on that person by being the right of him if he's constantly raising pre-flop. Once you sit down to the table, is there is there something will you take a couple orbits to watch and maybe try to find tells from a player player at the table and see how the ta the table's playing in general before you start making maybe your bigger bets? Um, I think it's a good it's a good idea to get a feel for the table before you kind of start playing outside the box. Um, you know, sometimes you're going to get pocket kings the third hand you're dealt and you just right. got to go with it and you you got to make your decisions based on like assumptions that you're, that aren't probably all that great. You're just kind of, you know, going with the information you got. Um, but yeah, in the beginning of a session, it's definitely more important to be paying attention at the beginning of a session than like midway through. Cause once you kind of get a baseline for like, if people are kind of following quote unquote, the rules <laughs> as yeah. far as like pre-flop selection and just like um, valuing hands in a proper manner. So you kind of want to get, a general sense on how the tables, you know, like how everyone's playing. So yeah, it's, it's, I'd say it's more important to have like to be paying attention in the beginning of a session. Yeah, and once once you sit down and you mentioned pre-flop, and how do you handle pre-flop 
to start. And we'll get into this in other other um, podcasts as well. We're doing just a basic run here today, the first the first podcast of uh, Poker with G-Pod. But once you, once you see it, how do you, how do you handle like pre-flop as opposed to handling under the gun, and um, and how do you play? How does that play into your decisions? Yeah, so I think um, when as a general, I guess like a baseline strategy for your raise your raise first in or RFI would be the like the shorter term version of that. Um, so if you're nine handed under the gun, you want to be raising about 11% of your hands. Um, so that'd be like pocket eights plus most suited Broadway and like ace queen offsuit. But then also a lot of your suited aces. Um, and you can kind of adjust the strategy based on the table. Um, a soft, like a more passive table or a table that you feel you have an advantage on, you could you could open this up um, a little bit. And if it's a, you know, it's a really tough table, you might even want to play a little bit tighter. And so, and then from the button, you want, like, so it's really, position is really important because under the gun, you're only really supposed to be playing 11% of your hands, but on, on the button, you can play like upwards of 40% of your hands. Um, and when you start opening your range, you want to, a lot of the, you're going to end up having to play a lot of your chunkier hands if you're playing 40% of your hands, but most of them are going to be suited hands versus the unsuited hands. Um, so that would be like a general strategy to start off with. And we, we can touch on that stuff uh, later on. We can look at charts yep, and future yep. uh, things as well. I mean, as we, could spend, we could spend hours on that. Oh, we could, of, uh, on anything. Stuff. Yeah. Right, right, and, right. But right. yeah, it's, a, it's a good to start yep. somewhere. Just have a general idea, like the actual sure. percentage numbers yes. from each position, and then yeah. you can kind of get in a deeper dive um, as, as we go along, sure. You no, know, the place where I play, I play at Chase's in Salem, New Hampshire a lot. I'm uh, sure you probably heard when you were back in Boston. Yeah. Sure. And they went from um, six. At first, they had nine players at the table. Then they went down to six during right after COVID. And now they're at eight. How does your play differ when you're playing different amount of people at the table? When there are different amount of players at the table? Sure. You want to like. I mean, if you're following a general pre-flop um, guide, if you will, you just want to. So for a six-handed table, you would just cut out the like earlier positions, and you would just start like from the low jack position. And um, so that would be like, so under the gun, you'd be raising like 17% of hand versus like 11%, um, generally speaking. Um, that's just kind of like a like the quick cheat code, but you can kind of, you can start to look at the different seat positions and see some of the hands that might like fit into um, some of those situations. Yeah. Well, Joe, real quick, how, how can someone get in touch with you if they're interested in possibly uh, asking questions about, uh, Hiring you as their coach, their, their poker coach, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Sure. Probably the best way would be just to email me, josephberg, B-E-R-G, 71, at gmail.com. Also, they could, um, if they're on Facebook and they want to like Boston Poker Coaching, if you just search it, it should come right up. Um, just hit the like button, and then I, I post stuff on there, um, like different content, and people can also contact me on there. And also, you have a... Uh... Uh, WSOP study group coming up soon. Can you tell me about that as well? Sure. Yeah, we're going to, um, so the WSOP, as we mentioned earlier, is going to be starting in October this year. And I know a lot of people are itching to play after not being able to play last year. So I'm going to be like doing a, some group lessons. Um, yeah, and they're going to be free of charge. So if you want to get in contact with me, we can, uh, we can work it out and they should be fun. And it, it, I'm excited to help people learn and maybe some people can have some good scores in the fall. And you can just, you know, obviously we can just go into more detail of that next week as we uh, we do our next podcast. Well, Joe, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. This is a great segment. I think this is a something that's going to help a lot of poker players. And uh, look forward to having you on the next show. Yeah, Joe Berg, the uh, poker coach, uh, Boston poker coach. Yeah.
and I wish you good luck with this podcast moving forward. It, it, I'm uh, excited to see where we go. Great. I'm really excited about it. You might be getting a call from me pretty soon about hiring you as my uh, poker coach. Cool. All right. We'll talk with you soon, Jamie. Number one is Mike the Mouth Matisal. He has four bracelets. He has two final table appearances. And he is my favorite player of all time. I like his attitude. I think he uh, he puts everything on his love on his sleeve. And he does a great job playing. He is number one. Mike the Mouth Matisal is my favorite poker player. Number two. Phil Helmuth, what can you say about Phil Helmuth? 15 World Series of Poker um, bracelets. He also won the main event one time, and he is be the best person I've ever seen promote himself in poker. So that is Phil Helmuth. Number three is the legend, Doyle Brunson. Doyle has 10 World Series of Poker bracelets as well as two World Series of Poker main event championships. He is the godfather of WSOP and poker. Number four is Phil Ivey. Phil Ivey, in my mind, is the best poker player on the world. I've seen him play. He's just recently won a 64-person um, heads-up tournament. He came in first, and to me, Phil Ivey is the best poker player I've ever seen. Jennifer Harmon has two bracelets. In 2000, she won a tournament in limit deuce two to seven draw without ever playing the game prior to the tournament. Someone gave her a quick uh, lesson, and she won that bracelet, and she is my number five favorite player. Number six is Phil Locke, the Unabomber. How can you not like Phil Phil Locke? He was quite the character playing on high-stakes poker and poker after dark, and he has, like I said, has a um, 2010 six-handed no-limit bracelet from Europe. Number eight is tied into Phil Locke, and that is the magician, Antonio Esfandiari. Three, bla three bracelets he's won on the WSOP. He also won a 2012 $1 million buy-in to the big one-for-one one drop no-limit hold'em championship with over, eight, with over 18 million's first prize. Number eight is Daniel the Kid Negreanu. Negreanu has, um, reads opponents better than anyone I've ever seen. He also has six World Series of Poker bracelets. That's Daniel Negreanu the Kid. In number eight. Number nine is Scotty Wynn. He has five bracelets. He also won the 1998 main event championship. Who loves you, baby? And that's Scotty Wynn. Number 10 is Eric Seidel. He has eight bracelets. He's won in five different games, five different venues. He was runner-up in the 1988 World Series of Pokemon. So that's going to do it for my top 10 poker players. Um, next week, maybe I'll do my top 10 poker players from 2010 to current. So... Thank you for so much for watching Poker with GPAP. Please like the page. Please subscribe to the page. Have your friends like and subscribe to the page. It doesn't cost anything. GPAP greatly appreciates it. Thank you so much. GPAP out.